Sutra 42 Rebirth The Parable of the Cosmic Clock, the Panther, and the Robin In order to reach the highest heights, then you must know what it means to come from down and below. In order to appreciate the warmth of the universe, then you must be able to endure the cold. If you want to find the truth within our lives, then you must walk upon the long road. If you want to think and grow rich, then you must be courageous, daring, and bold. And if you want to unleash the power within and change this world for the better, you must awaken the giant within and take immediate control. It is said that if a tree wants to reach to heaven, its roots must reach down to hell. And if that's the case, then surely you'll have a great story to tell. O oh, Divine Mother, I can no longer see you. And now that I'm alone, I don't know if I can do this on my own. For a moment it was silent, then I heard her whisper in the wind. That's why I've sent you a great hero, she said. Gone from the heavenly light, I walked forward into a sacred garden. Why this was the land called Earth, from where humankind first began. There in the air, I caught sight of a great hero that God had sent, and at first glance, I saw this as a sudden awakening. This was a bird, a giant creature. Behold, the greatest hero is him. Was this a bird, or was this a plane? I watched him soar like the chief eagle of earth, and the power of its spirit had been perfectly harnessed and this was the greatest potential that had ever been reclaimed. His form began to shift and change, and he was not just a good man. He was the greatest version of the pinnacle of our species and spirit, as he embodied the peak of the mature masculine. At first, I thought he was a condor, but he was much stronger, and so he could be a harpy eagle that had dropped in. Was it a flying bear or a soaring ox? He was the emperor of the earth sky, and when he descended near me, I was in shock. A robin? He was so gentle and patient, so peaceful and divine. Yet I thought he was giant and immense, so I could not fathom how this creature seemed to unlock all of the hidden potential that one could ever find. I myself was a strange creature. I was tied into a woman that was watching from all sides. I didn't know who I was in the vicinity of such a great being, and so for many nights I would hide, crouching low in the brush, like a panther in the night. I would always keep an eye on the great hero, for he seemed perfectly balanced, just, and righteous. Everything he did was pure, and many birds came to seek wisdom from him. The more I watched, the more I realized Everyone sought his advice in the entire kingdom. Not only birds, but creatures of all kinds. He helped the most powerful athletes, and he was so caring that he devoted himself to all of mankind. Even those poor beings were suffering and had seemingly lost their mind. He brought people out of poverty. He rescued those who were trapped. He outlined the most thoughtful and exquisite advice 
and shared it with others and handed them their own personal map. When a creature was struggling, it seemed all the other great beings were afraid to be exposed in the open. But this bird came to the rescue because he was an expert at analyzing conditions, inner programs, and mental patterns. Then one day, we got wind of the world's great problem that could not be solved by anyone else. Oh, what will we do? cried the suffering souls of the world. And so the robin spoke, I am here to serve and to help. No challenge was too great, no soul was too poor. No matter what was required to find a cure, the robin was devoted to go above and beyond, to give even more. He taught every being in the kingdom, and his influence stretched from the rulers to the servants. Anytime he spoke, I would get as close as I could, because it would be a terrible mistake not to obey and listen. His radiance was powerful, and it seemed the light obeyed him. Why, of course the sun was my great mother, but even more luminosity seemed to be glowing out from within him. And how could one being embody such grace, compassion, and perfection? How could one shine so bright? I could hear it emitting from his actions, as if the robin spoke without a voice when he said, I do it because my soul knows this is right. The world seemed to be in such chaos, but there was a powerful force holding it together. Millions upon millions came to seek the robin, and so his impact would carry on forever. I gathered among the masses who came to seek his advice, for I would do anything to listen, and so the robin spoke. The secret to living is in the giving. Aha! It is him, the great one who is man-made, the conqueror of darkness, the illumination of the earth's day. His posture was powerful like an almighty sovereign lord, and when he spoke, he held the entire power of the universe within his lungs. Teach us more, said a mouse. Discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons, said the robin. Oh, what is your secret, great robin? In your profound example we trust, said a parrot. If they tell us we can't, then we must, said the robin. And so the jungle roared, and the birds began to soar. Everyone followed this robin, and everyone knew that this robin was in charge. No one flew ahead of the robin. They all followed his lead. He gave wisdom to those who were desperate, and he gave millions and millions of meals to those who were starving and hungry. Now a mother was crying, and she was beside herself all alone. What has happened? asked the robin. My baby died of cancer, the woman cried as she groaned. Without hesitation, the robin took her in. He had a team of helpful souls who cared for this wounded mother and remained with her until she rediscovered the power of healing and strength within. Over and over, I saw it happen. He just wouldn't stop. Did this robin ever sleep? He seemed to care little for his own needs, as if the welfare of all beings was his only job. Then I saw a wounded man, who had gotten shot in a gunfight. He'd been in gangs and nearly lost his life. Now living in a wheelchair, the man's mind was descending so low. Then the robin revealed the secret teachings through his books, and their miracle sprouted before my eyes when new hope began to grow. The man who was shot 
created a business to look after nature's land, and he rode upon a chariot to maintain the entire city's grass. This man rediscovered his true purpose, and so a hog cried out, The robin is a great hero, alas! With so much tragedy, the robin saw everything as transformation, and the moment he caught wind that someone was suffering, he jumped in to help without hesitation. Then a deer came to the robin and said, Life is so hard, and I seem to be caught in depression and hopelessness. Do you have any wisdom? When we grow, then our progress leads us to happiness, said the robin. He helped the deer outline a massive action plan, and he was there to help before an event, during, and after. The robin surpassed what it means to be a great man. He was a true genius and master. But how do you make sense of this world? What is this madness they call the storms in the sky? Every time it rains, it floods my house and I almost die, said a worm to the robin. We must learn from the seasons. Everything changes, and if it doesn't grow, it dies, said the robin. This robin was so humble, and so another creature asked, How did you make it through all this? We all make it when we don't give up or quit, said the robin. And with all of your flawless plans and philosophies, how did you come to realize all these unique components? asked a hippopotamus. If you want to be a great hero, then you need great opponents, said the robin. Over time, I heard bits and pieces of the robin's story, and I learned that he never stopped growing. And so in the words of the great robin, if you're going through hell, then keep going. But noble robin, my business is struggling, and I just can't get any relief, said an otter struggling to build the dam. If you're not getting the results you want, then you have a limiting belief, said the robin. And so the robin sat with the otter. There he outlined a great plan of attack. He helped the otter repeat invocations, encouraging him to rise up and to rediscover the inner potential that he once lacked. To the astonishment of everyone, overnight the otter created a successful dam, all because of the words and wisdom of the great robin, who was the pinnacle of the mature masculine. Wherever the robin went, he carried himself upright as if his body was a stoic statue, and wherever he showed up at, souls would gather and try to catch a glimpse of this view. When I arrived back upon earth, I felt so disconnected from heaven. I was low and lost, but I thought of the words of the robin, and so whenever I found a thought of doubt, I'd repeat, if I can't, then I must. I tried to get even closer to the robin, and so I had a feeling it would soon be time to rise. There I got so close, among a million or so people, I could see the light glowing out from his eyes. He spoke for three days straight, and when it was all over, he came back for one more. Four days in total, all for free, because the robin had so much wisdom in store. I scribbled notes endlessly, trying to keep up with all the great wisdom and advice. Why this was the nectar that could change the world. And so the robin's teachings can transform your entire life. Usually my attention would wander, but listening to him, I was 100% actively engaged. And so the robin spoke. Identity is the most powerful force 
and the human personality. Aha! What a great relief! But what is my truest identity? And it was as if this Robin could read my mind when he said, No long-term behavior changes without changes in belief. Yes, I was very curious about beliefs. And so he explained that beliefs create our identity. Life supports whatever our beliefs are. And a belief is nothing but a feeling of absolute certainty. Certainty leads to action and non-certainty leads to non-action. But who was this Robin really? Was he a king, a warrior, a lover, or a magician? I could not decide, and so I saw him as the pinnacle of all four. All hail the Robin, forevermore, chanted a noble tiger from the jungle. That night I went off on my own, as many panthers do. Being so accustomed to the dark parts of life, I needed to find some more space to make sense of all this transformation that I'd been going through. Because why would someone go through so much trouble just so that an idea might be revealed? And so it's simple. The Robin did it so that our world may heal. As I was motivated by the Robin's ideas, I myself took the entire night to reflect upon the power of identity and belief. And so I began to wonder how we could make sense of life upon the earth and all the world's needs. First, I had to think about the people, animals, and creatures. I wanted to think about who we really are. And as I dug into my imagination, I was able to journey oh so far. Those among us who live in the world seem to be separated into three categories, as we all have lives to live and families to protect. And so the categories we are separated into are listeners, believers, and the perfects. To start, we begin with those who are listeners. These are the people who hear whispers, not even questioning why we might be here. What they hear may not resonate, and so this is a sign of existence in the unconscious mind. And as the divine sends signs, these listeners often live blind. But for those who seek, then it is you who will find. And so that leads us to the second category, the believers. These are the ones who cultivate a connection to God, a belief, or an idea within their own mind. Belief is equal to identity, and life supports what you are. A belief is nothing but a feeling of absolute certainty about what something means. Whether that belief is true, false, right, wrong, flawless, or bizarre. When we are certain about our beliefs, we are led to action. And when we are uncertain, we are led to non-action. And whatever we find ourselves to believe deeply in, we find a sense of magnetic attraction. And so I used one of the Robin's teachings. For example, if you were to look within the room you're in, examine all that is brown. Take about 10 seconds and let your eyes catch as many brown things as you can find all around. Now close your eyes as you picture those brown things in your head. Next, as you keep your eyes closed, I want you to tell me what things you noticed that were red. The idea here is that once you believe in something, you're stuck in exactly whatever that belief is to be. Once you are looking for that exact thing you believe in, it's all you're going to see. 
So then I could ask you, what do you think about life? If you say that life is beautiful, you are exactly right. But if you say that life is cruel, then a cruel version of your reality will always cover your sight. By limiting our beliefs, we are in turn limiting our life. And so the robin had tapped into the nectar of divinity to reveal precious wisdom to those who had endured great suffering and strife. Now if you believe in God, how could you define it with words? Would you call this realization the power of a great and holy spirit that's invisible? Or is it a bearded man upon a throne? Or is it a message in a holy book that can either be experienced and or heard? Believers may hear about God through scripture, but they are also able to experience beliefs through the body, speech, and mind. They also have encounters or experiences with the numinous, the whole, the all, or the divine, and so the experiences of life itself will mirror our beliefs so that our reality becomes aligned. Simply stated, wherever your attention goes, your energy and life flows. And if you study Jesus' message every day, then the message of Jesus is exactly what you will know. Now if you're curious about the universe, and you begin to study the stars, you'll find that your life will become synced up to the entire universe, no matter how distant or far those stars are. Believers know without a doubt, and so they are called to believe. On the other hand, it is listeners who may hear whispers while remain in the unconscious, unaware of the powerful, creative force that cultivates the potential of who they can actually be. Now believers come in many forms, but we'll put all of them, no matter their faiths, together in this group. Whether there is a common belief or not, they are set on an idea and a belief, and in on the spiritual scoop. Now if you believe, you may take part in certain types of rituals, whether you're a sports star or a choir boy at church, you're aware that within this grand universe there is a sort of magnificent power, and so we could refer to this great intelligence as something like a cosmic giggle. In essence, these believers are involved in a great dance or play, and so believers cultivate faith through practices, activities, rituals, devotion, meditation, or prayer in various ways upon certain days. The common thread of believers is that they each are set on a certain belief, and whether you call it sports psychology, Christianity, or universal guidance, having a belief in an idea allows the potential of this belief to flourish based on the individual's participation and compliance. The key here is this, that what you believe in is exactly what you can achieve and it's all based upon where you focus your attention, based on whatever you set or limit as that which you believe. If you believe in the truth of your utmost potential, then you could win a championship or even a state of heaven can be obtained. But I should mention about the eternal truth that's quite important. And the truth is this, that all things change. Now how do I know this? It is not my belief but rather I observe the nature of life, death, the seasons, and there I see how everything changes, and so there is a pattern that repeats. If I examine sports, one year a team becomes a champion, then less than a year later, the process repeats, 
And so a new season begins again. Fortunately or unfortunately, this is the same with bliss, happiness, and even heaven. No matter how profound, exquisite, and great, no matter how much you try to hold on to it, nature teaches us that nothing remains in a permanent state. And so the believer says, well that's not what I believe. And so I say, well that's because you're only looking at one aspect of reality. You've got to open your eyes and mind a little wider to see past your own limiting beliefs. Not true, says the believer, since they are set on what they know. But in time, a believer may get enough hints from the universe, God, pain or pleasure, where they begin to feel that there is a great mystery about this vast unknown. Believers are cultivating faith through all points in their lives, some faster than others, but all believers have a general understanding that there is a spiritual source within our lives and after we die. If a believer simply believes, then once they pass on, they may or may not meet exactly what they perceived. Not to say it's a coin flip, but there is a chance that their limited beliefs could not fathom or grasp the eternal reality. That is the beauty of our passages and scriptures. We have testaments to guide us based on those who have departed long ago. After all, we are just walking each other home. When it comes to questions about life or death, we may wonder whether something does carry on after we die. And so we can look to direct examples. Then after that, we can look even deeper by examining how and why. The beautiful part about believers is that we have records of those who stood by Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, the Divine Mother, Swamis, Vishnu, Shakti, or Shiva. We have pure evidence written in books, told in stories, and carved in statues. So a believer's mind creates perceptions based on beliefs, and they are putting together ideas to describe what we call or documented as truth. There is a parable of the blind man and the elephant, and in this case, the elephant is described as the totality of God. The blind men come to discover the truth of this matter, but as they explain what they believe, they quickly see that everyone else's perspective has flaws. The first man touches the giant front leg, and he describes God to be tall, sturdy, and strong like a tree. But to the blind man who found the trunk, this is not what he believes. Rather, he believes God is like a large floppy arm, like a nose that wiggles and breathes. But to the third blind man, who found his tail, this is not at all what he believes. Rather, he believes God is quite small, nothing bigger than a garden snake. And as they debate what they found, they soon realize that nobody can believe what someone else has explained. It brings pain and division, since they all found God. But what all these believers have in common is that they are all aware of the force called God. Believers come in many religions, and even though they are all touching God's truth, they each find it difficult to describe the enormous God when it moves the universe and is totally see-through. And which believers have caught a miracle on camera? It simply cannot happen. The powers of the Spirit are beyond our comprehension. They say God has not been born, and God has not died. God has no body, and God is somewhere beyond the sky. 
Some think heaven is a place. Others believe it's a state of mind. But the purpose of a believer is to search through life and link an understanding of the divine within the heart and mind. This relationship is like a link. It is a connection to God. Yes, the spirit is trying to reach out and teach you that the universe has no flaws. Based upon how you live, what you think, and what you do, this link to God will get stronger or weaker as you grow. Again, believers learn through scripture and religions, but believers may also have experiences, and so believers may not always believe what they've been told. Now, it's not fair to say that the biggest religions have the most or best experiences, but rather the opposite might be said, that a large majority would have an extremely hard time understanding such a complex mystery. To talk about the unlimited power of God is like having a discussion about a power that cannot be known, something invisible like space that goes on beyond the body and bones. This idea brings us to the realm of the spirit, which is of a power that we cannot simply see. And if you happen to catch a glimpse of this mystery, it means you have touched or gotten a realization what it means to be free. An experience like this may perplex our beliefs. It may shake our previous perspective at our core. It may become so overwhelming that we don't know how to live a regular life anymore. Call it a miracle or magic. Call it a heavenly gift. Be it a UFO emerging from the sky, or as the Tibetans call this drala, which is energy over aggression where a mind pauses as it's perplexed. We can't quite explain it. And so this realization is like the onset of shock. We wonder how in the world it could have happened just like this. And so the purpose is that our mental stream is interrupted and our mind temporarily stops. In this moment of awe and freedom, we wonder about mystery. And so we weigh our experiences based on how others may have felt. We may search and search by examining this experience to see if it aligns with someone else. We may find similar links in scripture, which could deepen a sense of belief, unity, and camaraderie. We might devote ourselves to a parish where we pray on Sundays. And so we could think of God as a divine mystery. And so God, parishes, and any beliefs should not be looked down upon. But rather when judgments or criticism arises, we can be curious as to what type of experiences a certain faith, religion, or individual may have undergone. Now sometimes, when a person gets a glimpse, it shatters their beliefs. It becomes such a pivotal moment in their life that they enter into their own private solitary retreat. This would be someone who walks against the status quo, someone who is interested in finding their own way. And in almost every case, these were the founders of every religion to which we are devoted and pray. Jesus, Tara, Moses, Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha, Shiva, Saraswati, Mother Teresa, and all the greats have this in common. They felt and experienced something where they were profoundly affected. And so we know them as the third category. We know them as the perfects or the perfected. Maybe the first thing we should know about the perfects is that vulnerability is their power. They were not defined by those before them, and so they use the teachings, world, 
and natural resources around them to bloom like a beautiful lotus flower. Identity in this case is the most powerful force in the human personality because by the power of a few individuals, these perfected people were able to change the entire course of human history. No existing behavior changes without a change in our beliefs. And at certain times and moments in history, humanity came to a certain cycle where beliefs were shattered because someone found a sense of heavenly peace and relief. And so I heard a peep from the perfected Robin when he said, if you act on new beliefs immediately, you can begin to cement it permanently. For instance, when Jesus taught, there were 12 key followers and apostles. Now what shifted their view when Jesus came to them that allowed them to shatter their old beliefs and become the authors of the Gospels? Whatever had happened to them, it was so great that it changed the foundation of their beliefs. Whether it was a miracle or if something happened accidentally, we find that the only way to get lasting change is when a change comes through a shift in our identity. Think of what happened to the perfected people called Krishna, Moses, Ram, Muhammad, Mother Teresa, Tara, and all the other perfects. It's that they were able to expand their identity. Rather than follow the crowds of the masses, a perfected being will have tested their beliefs experimentally. Putting themselves in the fire of real living faith, their understanding becomes good like gold. And so they continued the path forward, which may have been based on the beliefs that they were told. For a perfect, life isn't a matter of blind faith or hopeful trust. Their mindset would be more like, if I can't, then I must. So how do perfects do it? How do they forge a path that unites us with such powerful faith methods, tools, and keys. One way is that they use incantation so that their mind, body, and spirit act and speak with certainty. If their previous beliefs didn't get them the results they wanted, they realized they had limiting beliefs. And like a tortured poet or artist, the pain itself contains the relief. All perfects endure great and frightful hardship. They suffer immensely if only to shatter their limiting beliefs. That way, they can no longer go on without shifting their perspective, and it breaks the previous patterns that tend to repeat. The purpose of this repetition of suffering is so that we learn to break free. And so I feel it is proper to describe the clock of awakening when it feels like the same lessons are spinning on repeat. Thus I have heard, there once was a great cosmic clock called time, it spins with the galaxies and stars, all made by a heavenly and divine design. Our lives are like small seeds, waiting to sprout, and just when the clock signals for our birthday, we begin to grow into bodies, and after about nine or so human months, we come out. Aha! We are born, and what a miracle life is. We begin to grow and to develop without a clue as to where we came from. And so this is the journey we live. Now who sent us? And how did we get here? Why as we begin to grow, we face challenges, excitement, love, and face our fears. As we grow into our human bodies, we forget about the cosmic clock. And sometimes in our human lives, we feel despair as if we are lost 
trapped, or caught. We may say, Oh, why am I here? And what must I do? Please, God, are you out there? What is this torture you've put me through? Spinning upon the clock, some years are good, and some years are bad. Sometimes we celebrate with great joy as we create powerful businesses, and some winters grow so long that the seasonal depression makes us feel mad and sad. The cycle spins, and so the cycle repeats, through birth, adolescence, adulthood, and through victory and defeat. Now upon this cosmic cycle, there is something called divine timing. It takes us by surprise, and so out of the blue, there are moments that can erupt and shatter our limiting beliefs and old conditioning. When this happens, we could call it midnight, daybreak, or 12 o'clock. And since there are 24 hours in a day, we could think of it as a halfway point or the middle of the journey upon such a cosmic clock. Once we hit this point, we get a glimpse of the end where we are destined to go. Some call it a midlife crisis, and we go through a shift so permanent and intense that it shatters all the beliefs that we had once lived our lives according to. Upon this shift, we are called to awaken from believers upon the path, as we now have a calling to become perfected. In this way, the cosmic intelligence sends its signs, and there's no more wasting time, for upon this great hour, you have been selected. We might say, oh what the heck, I'm not ready for this. Some get depressed about their shattered beliefs, and others stay very pissed. Some won't accept it, and others try to allow their feelings to be dismissed. But the cosmic clock knows that this is your big opportunity that it doesn't want you to miss. Often this awakening comes in the form of tragedy and pain. It could be heartbreaking and sad. It could be cancer, a loss of a parent, ruin, despair, or all the things we wished never happened. But in a human life, we only have so much time to live upon the earth. And when the cosmic clock strikes and signals for your awakening, this is called rebirth. In order for the next life to open, you've got to close the door behind you. Otherwise, you'll stay stuck between your old beliefs and the path of being perfected. And if you don't move, then you'll never make it through. So first, there is a necessary awakening, which takes action when you recognize your true nature. You begin to see yourself as your own great teacher. Then as the cosmic clock keeps turning, after enough time, the next hour dings. There comes a second turning, and so you get another glimpse of an awakening. Over and over, a third and even a fourth hour turns. The cosmic clock gets you closer and closer to a big cosmic return. Eventually you'll get the primary awakening, which is recognizing that the true nature is actually who you are. This is the nature of everything, and you are it, the essence of life that stretches on forever far. From here you are that true nature, and life would seem very ordinary. Even your pronouns disappear, and so you exist in this world with little fear of this great and noble journey. What I must say about the little I've learned is that this journey takes great courage. No matter how much pain or suffering you endure, may we find joy, support, and friends within our world so that we don't get disheartened. There are communities of healers, religions, and faiths. 
there are all sorts of people who can help. If the cosmic clock strikes and you are called to awaken, remember it's your journey alone, but you don't have to go through this journey all by yourself. That's why I write these stories. That's why I give it all away for free, in the hopes that never again will a person give in to suicide. And so I offer all this hard work so that somebody else discovers the perfected key. The door is right in front of you, and it may hurt to let go of the past. But take the key, it's free. Unlock the door in front of you, be brave, and take the next step to unleash the potential that exists within you and me. Often we're perplexed, since we are so attached to our old beliefs. But I promise that the cycle of awakening is trying to give your spiritual soul exactly what it needs. I guess I always pictured a door at the end of it. You can't take anything with you through that door. So when we're old and gray, what's actually going to matter? Life is a path, never traveled by another. One step at a time, one foot after the other. Let ambition drive you, pushing you further than you know, bringing you to distant places that you never thought you'd go. Even great misfortune can be a blessing in disguise. For the sake of redemption, show us how an underdog can rise. Lace up your boots, head into the unknown. No one can walk it for you. It's your road alone. And as I stood on the other side of the sun's door, I embraced the new sense of life I had entered in. This was a portal into a fresh path where a new story would soon begin. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. It was that Robin who reminded me to find that light, and I couldn't help but cry. But these tears weren't good, and they weren't bad. I think I was still in shock and overwhelmed that a part of me had just died. And so I sat still that night, since there wasn't much to do, speechless about the preciousness of life and all that our world had been through. Why heaven was like a great garden, and I think I was caught in the perfect bloom. Then I heard the robin fly beside me. Isn't life beautiful? said the robin. Yeah it is, and I've got to get going soon. The robin sat with me from afar, and he had more energy and charisma than anyone else I'd ever found. Everything was perfect just as it was meant to be. So what's your next life going to look like? You know it's up to you. You can pick out whatever you want your life to be. When it comes to deciding who we want to be, well the power and potential is within you, said the robin. I don't know, and I'm not sure if I believe this. I feel like I've been gone for so long, and before long, heaven is the relief that I'm going to miss. Belief is a poor excuse for experience. Come on, kid, you've got a compelling future, chuckled the robin. But what's wrong with our world? Why does it have to be like that? I want to stay open to all of it, but I'm so sick of all the suffering, the wars, and the endless attacks. In our world, we are overwhelmed by information and we're starving for wisdom. But if you open your heart and mind to the world, 
There's a pure and perfect lesson, said the robin. Oh yeah? What's the perfect lesson? It's the lesson of the seasons, and how everything changes. When it's the middle of winter, most people can barely manage. But by some miracle, spring, summer, and fall will follow in consecutive stages. No panic lasts forever, no war lasts forever, no economy lasts forever. And so the truth is that nothing lasts forever, said the robin. You sure about that? Well, there is one thing, and so it's change that lasts forever. Now even as change is automatic, progress is not. We've got to do the right things and take action at the right time. For example, you don't go planting seeds in winter. Rather, winter is a time to slow down, regenerate, to survive death, where we create space for a new beginning. Spring is for the creation of the new. It's exciting and has high growth. Summer is a hot time, a coming of age, the awakening, and a place where we're tested. Fall is for the harvest, the reaping of rewards, unwinding, and the autumn of life. If you can identify patterns and see what emotions are triggered, then you can shift those patterns. And after that, you can take control and bring your life to a whole new level, said the robin. But why does it hurt so much? Growth is often the result from pain. None of us will survive forever, but some will succeed. Sometimes the most broke are the most committed, said the robin. But how do we get through it and stay sane? There are two worlds to influence, the internal and the external. You can influence the external, but you don't have any control over it. And if you want to produce results, don't be conditioned by the belief that it can't be done. Here are three core skills that will help you to understand the trajectory of changes. At any moment, we have to understand the patterns that trigger and control you. First. Get good at pattern recognition and stop being fearful. Second is about pattern utilization. Use it to get the results you want. Third is about pattern creation, which is the most powerful one, the robin paused. And when it comes to pain, suffering, and grief, well, everything ends, and the most important thing at the end is to create something new. Did you know there are six stages of grief? First, there is shock and denial. Here we are in avoidance, confusion, and fear. Next comes anger, which takes the form of frustration, irritation, and anxiety. Sometimes, people get stuck here. And if you get stuck, then you stay. But if you grow, then you get to the third stage, which is sadness, loss, and depression. Sadness happens when you're so tired of being angry and sometimes people get stuck here. But if you grow, then you get to the next stage, which is bargaining. Here you struggle to find meaning. You reach out to others, and so you begin to tell your story. Next comes acceptance, where you explore options, put new plans in place, and start to move on. The last step is to create something new, and that's where we find you, said the robin. I felt like I was shrinking ever since I left heaven. I had just lost a giant part of my last life, and I didn't know what to believe in. Come on, kid. Sit up straight and stand up tall. Your posture makes a world of difference. Now stand up and roar, said the robin.
Rawr. I could barely move. I was so down and out. Come on, let's hear it. Get up and shout, said the robin. And so I roared, and with that came the onset of fresh energy. We started to jump up and down, and the tragedies of the past slipped out of my memory. Do you know who you are yet? asked the robin. I feel like a big cat. Okay, said the robin. That's where we're at now, but that's why we're going to grow. There are three mandates of leadership. First, you've got to see it as it is, not worse than it is. Second, you've got to see it better than it is. Third, make it the way you see it and use strategies. We're going to get you to take control of your brain and use your mind to help you get what you want and not let your mind use you. The biggest fear with people is that they lose what they have and they don't get what they want, said the robin. So what's the key? The key is energy. Energy is everything. It's the foundation of life itself. With high energy, you can do everything and anything. Low energy will take you into a low state and you'll never find a solution. The path of least resistance is what most people take, but it will never make you proud. It will never make you strong or happy, said the robin. But I haven't taken the path of least resistance. I've written and rewritten my story so many times, I'm about to tap out. I've got nothing left. Come on and roar, you big cat. Get up and shout. Again I roared, and the fresh energy was restored. That's it. Now self-esteem comes from doing difficult things, where you push yourself through and you know it. It is earned by confronting and overcoming obstacles, and you need energy to do this, said the robin. So where does energy come from? Energy is a habit. Energy is created from movement and sound. It comes from the things we tell ourselves. It's important to put emotions into it. Competition can be good when we help each other get better. And when you have a power posture, your testosterone increases by 20%, stress hormones and cortisol decrease by 25%, and risk tolerance increases by 33%, said the robin. But where and when is the breakthrough? It's the moment in time when everything changes, when the impossible becomes possible. It only takes a moment and you act on it, said the robin. But what triggers it? A loss, a new experience, new knowledge, new challenges or emotions. If you've had challenges, then you've had breakthroughs. Let's try an exercise. Close your eyes and think of a time when you had a breakthrough. What was the situation you struggled with for a long time? And then think of the moment when you finally broke through. What was the exact moment that changed it all? What triggered it? What made it a must? What made it possible for that change to last? What was the new belief, strategy, and insight? Said the robin. And so I thought back to a day, December 28th, 2012. It was at that day when everything clicked and I started writing poems for the first time in a long time. It was then that I wrote down everything that was holding me back in my life, from alcohol to cannabis, lust, desires, TV, social media, and all the rest of it. At that moment, I decided I wasn't going to live with it anymore. The next day, I woke up at 5 a.m. and went to the gym. Then I started reading books and listening to great inspirational speakers 
like Joe Rogan, Robin Williams, Jim Rohn, and Tony Robbins. It was a hard first week, but I showed up at the gym at 5 every day, and I even did cold plunges in the middle of the Michigan winter. I did the cold plunges for about 5 or 6 days in a row. And why was that? Because I knew anyone could do it once, but I wasn't like anybody else. And so I reflected on the time when I won a state championship in high school. I went on to play college soccer, and I knew there was a fierce competitor within me, even if my soccer career was over. See? If you figured it out once, you can do this again. You only build on successes, not failures. Now, there are three keys to a breakthrough. First is the state of your mind. Everything comes from your state, said the robin. I kid you not. I looked down to my right bicep, and there I saw the first tattoo I'd ever got. It said STATE in all capital letters. Back when I was a junior in high school, it was the first time I was selected on the varsity soccer team when we made it to the state championship. We had the best team by far, and our seniors had won state the previous two years. We were on the path to becoming unstoppable, and I hadn't been on the championship team yet. But with this group above me, it seemed like a championship was a sure thing. We made it to the state tournament, and through all of our hard work and grit, to our astonishment, our best player got ejected, and I got subbed in. I played the best I could, and in my eyes, in that game, I played out of my mind, but we lost in overtime. I remember crying on the field, thinking that was it that I'd never get a chance to play here again. It was heartbreak for all of us, and so we went back home with nothing. After that, the coach left us. He transferred to another high school, and the greatest senior class, who had won two championships before, left for college, and the next year, it seemed like nobody believed in what we could do. The night after we lost, when I got back home, I took the athletic tape that you'd wrap an ankle with and I put about five or six pieces in a row, and then I wrote one word in all capitals, STATE. I taped it to my ceiling above my bed, and for the next year, every night I went to sleep, I thought about the day we lost and all the dread, and each night I'd remind myself how I was never going to feel that again. I wasn't nearly as good as the seniors who had left, but our team did have something unique. We had grit and we were unwilling to quit. When the next year came, I was voted to be a captain along with a few others, and with the new coach, we had a chaotic beginning to the season. But as time came for the knockout stages, even though we were unranked, we kept winning. Game by game, we took it one day at a time, and before we knew it, we made it to the state tournament, and I remember feeling a certain invocation enter into my mind as it said, this is our time. I wasn't the best player on the pitch, but all of us had heart. We won the semifinal game, and then we entered into the state championship where a tale of redemption was set to start. We were down by one, with less than three minutes to go in my last high school game, and by some miracle, we got a free kick from half, where we packed everyone in the box, and Ross Dreyer, a defender, who hadn't scored once that year, managed to head it in. Chaos erupted, and so we went to overtime. By that point, 
It had devastated the other team, and it was only a matter of time. Upon a certain moment, I stole the ball. Can you imagine that? Like a thief, I poked the ball and passed it to Matt Chesky, who threaded a pass to our best scorer named Adam Lindsay. He took a shot on goal, and it went into the side net, and the rest is history. We won the state championship, and I believed it was not based on greatness or talent, but on our drive and our state of mind. And the craziest part is that after we got the trophies and the medals, I had a thought enter into my mind as it said, this is great, but there's another purpose in your life that you're meant to find. And so the Robin continued, the first key to breakthroughs is your state of mind. Next is your story. Every day we're writing a story in our heads. Is it grateful or tragic? Is it a limiting story with limiting beliefs that's holding you back? When you manage to change the story you're telling yourself, you change your entire life. And once you get in that right state and you're telling yourself the right story, then you can develop the right strategy. And actually, by that point, the strategy will just appear to you. Great states make great stories. The state you are in affects your story. And then you can come up with ways to get where you want to go. The fastest way you can change your state is by changing your posture, adding movement, sound, or by making your body strong. And you can add your voice too, said the Robin. And so for a few hours I worked with the Robin. He led me to develop new empowering ways to create stories with positive emotions. I created a new story in my mind with a sense of victory. My old story was about death. And my new story is about life and rebirth. And so I'm building a better future so that I can serve and help all beings upon the earth. Now I invite you to contemplate the following questions that I used to help myself build a new map. This was an internal exercise to think about where we are heading and what we'll do with a new life. And so I invite you to close your eyes, to take a deep breath in, and then release the breath out. Take another deep breath in and fill the lungs all the way up. Now release your worries and doubts. Take one more deep breath and as you sigh the breath out, let go of all the tension in your shoulders, jaw, and body. And so I ask, who are you? Are you your name, your job, or what's your real identity? What did you want to be when you grew up? Who did you look up to most when you were a kid? What advice would you give your childhood self if you could go back? What's the most difficult thing you've overcome? What's something that not many people know about you? What is your greatest accomplishment? What's your faith or religion like? What are you most proud of? What's one or two goals that you really want to achieve in this life? 
What's the biggest risk you've taken? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? What makes you the most happy? What do you love about your life? What's something you want to do before you die? What makes your home special to you? What do you think the purpose of life is? What's one piece of advice you would want to share with the whole world? If your life was a story, what would the title be? And lastly, without telling me your name, your job, or anything like that, who are you really? And after some time, the robin spoke. So what kind of life do you want to live? And what kind of impact do you want to leave behind? Well, I'm not sure if that's for me to decide, or if God has it written. But if it's truly up to me, then I want to relieve the suffering of all beings and help turn that pain into a spiritual transformation. I'd like to be a leader that inspires others to find their true nature. And when it comes to a legacy, I just want the world to know that I never gave up on her. Now the strangest thing happened, because as it was quiet for a moment, I heard a voice in my mind but when I understood what it was saying, it sounded like Boomy Davy. I don't know if we can trust him, she said. Trust him? Of course we must. He is the great Robin. He is a healer, a helper. He is devoted and just. Maybe, but we've got to see. Take a bite of his wing. That'll show us if he is who he claims to be, said the Boomy. Boomy Davy, I don't think so. I've watched him long before I sat with him, and there's no way I would stoop so low. He's done nothing but help me, and he's picked me up when I felt down. Look at what he's done for the world. He's helped everyone in need, all around. You think he's just a robin, but I want to see who he really is. Go on and bite. Jump at once. Then we'll see if he's true to the life he says he lives, said the Boomy. At that moment, Something strange happened. Call it the instincts of a cat. Because suddenly, I was seized by a sense of danger, as if a hunter had found me out in the open. I felt sharp and fierce. Now my claws were ready to attack. My eyes turned yellow, and the hair began to rise on my back. I felt a shadow rise over me, and I saw many cobras emerge to hover above as I listened to what they said. They had come out from within my own spirit now I realized these were the goddesses with their ten heads. Do it. Do it. Do it. Were they protectors or killers? Were they guardians of the spirit? Or should I have reason to fear this? Whatever the case, in that moment, 
It seemed I had no control over it. Now you must understand that this was very overwhelming for me personally. Having your own spirit overpowered makes one extremely vulnerable, and it covers my senses with a lens over my eyes, so it feels like I'm far from free. Was I in the cage of my ego? All I could think about was my own survival. The onset of this trepidation made the robin appear as a threat, and so he began to look like an enemy and a rival. That's it. Now pounce, said one of the ten boonies. My fang stretched out from my mouth, and I began to size him up. He looked so tiny in a state of peace, when my body transformed into a mad tigress as I leapt at him and pinned my mouth around his gut. I didn't bite down, but rather I pinned him down. Then I gazed into his eyes, enough to see it was I who had gone mad. And what was I doing? Why look at my body? I was covered in the form of a crazy tigress. I didn't want this amazing robin to endure any more suffering. A moment later, the robin awakened a giant within. He was not a simple bird, such as a small robin, but now I could really see him. His size had grown by a thousand percent. He was the king of all birds. He may have assumed the form of a robin to relate with all beings, but now he'd taken the form of the guardian of our lord. Garuda? said the boomy. And so the king of all birds spoke. If you are hungry, then eat my flesh. If you are weary, then take my life force. Let me offer all that I have to you. I'll put everything in my life aside so that you can nourish your own source. May I help you become your best self. I hope my energy helps you cure your afflictions. To serve you and help you is my calling and mission, said the Garuda. All I had was a feather in my mouth, and so I spit out the feather when my eyes turned green. I jumped away because what on earth had gripped me, and so I shook my head to see if this was all a wild dream. The great Garuda was before me, and he was not a simple robin. What happened, Boomy Davy? It is him, she said. And so we bowed, and I'm not even sure if this was the Boomy or me. Was I trapped in this body, or was I free? Who is he? Garuda is the Divine Mount, the charioteer of the sun. He is the sovereign king of all birds, the plants, the animals, and the humans. Garuda is the protector of power and can swiftly travel anywhere. Ever vigilant, serpents beware, said Boomy Davy. I looked up, and now I felt ashamed. The radiant, gentle light that glowed from him had changed. He was still himself, but by my own sharpness and fear, I had dimmed his radiance. By threatening him, I had become so mischievous. Oh, I wanted to beg for forgiveness, but what could I say? I had just tried to bite him, and I was having a difficult time understanding the nature of my own unique ways. That light that glowed around him changed, and something was rearranged. A vibration emitted from his heart that had broken me out of my ego's prison and cage. What was this power? For it was no longer the illumination of bright light. Rather, this was a more miraculous healing vibration that emitted out and yet it appeared invisible through sight. The deeper I looked, I realized that through his own life he had paid the price. 
why there in his heart center, I felt the power of Christ. This was the vibration and grace of all generosity, compassion, and blessings. I had just realized that the real resurrection of Christ takes place in everyone's heart, and so Christ lives in the heart of the living. How could words explain it? For this is not something one simply understands, but rather it is the fire of divine love, heavenly patience, endless forgiveness, and unlimited compassion. I felt his heart radiating a field of loving awareness, and it was spreading to the entire world. He's got the burning heart. It is true. He is the one who endures, said the Bhumi. What one? He emits the light of Shiva. He carries the divinity of Vishnu. Stay as close to this man as you can. How could anyone ever understand what he has been through? Said the Bhumi. I hear you, and I feel how he embodies the love that ignites. Why, when I look to his heart, I see the heart of Christ. Now I wanted to beg for forgiveness, but I think both the Garuda and I began to understand. He was a wise sage of the heart and the mind, yet his soul was held in the king of all birds, the Garuda, while his form carried the body of a man. But Bhumi Devi, I don't understand why you made me nearly bite him. It would have been a terrible mistake. I felt gripped by something beyond my control, as if a different captain took the wheel and changed my fate. I had to know if we could trust him. Not only can we trust him, but he is a man you must follow. Learn everything you can from him. Learn everything possible, said the Bhumi. But how was it possible that one moment I was a panther, and the next I had shifted my body and form into a crazed tigress? Oh, how on earth could anyone explain this? There is meaning behind the madness. And although it is difficult to understand, in time, you will become more comfortable as you shift into different skins. Because as a guardian, I must ensure we are teamed up with only the most honorable men and women. 49% of your life, you will assume the role of the panther named Forgiveness, and 2% of your time, you will assume the role to a pregnant tigress. Why, you may wonder? Because a pregnant tigress is ruthless, and so she will do anything necessary to protect her children, even if it means slipping into crazy madness. We must protect them. The reason behind this madness is that there are times when you must be willing to be even more fierce than the worst villains upon the earth. You are a protector of this land, and so wickedness must fear you. That way, you can summon the courage, bravery, mastery, and protection to look after my children of life who have all taken birth. And for those who do not understand the sense of madness, imagine if you were a parent. Then you would know that you have to protect your child. So wouldn't you be willing to do anything and everything to ensure their safety? Well, I am the mother of every plant, creature, and human ever born that exists in Earth's wild. I won't stand to see our growth or life energy stagnant. Instead, I pounce into life and cause all kinds of havoc with the ultimate intention of bringing us toward more fulfilling lives. That is my mission. It's unexpected, uncomfortable, and sometimes feels devastating. But after the dust clears, it's easy to see my wisdom at work. We've all been through these types of experiences, 
and they've made us into better people. Trust that this journey leads us to a bright place. And I needed to emerge through you to see if this bird was a mere robin or if he was the king and divine eagle, said the Bumi. But you said 49% of the time will embody the appearance of forgiveness and 2% of the time as madness. But that's only 51%. What about the other 49% of my life? Yes, you are now ready to embrace your fullness. It is the heart of the lion of bravery, mastery, courage, and fearlessness, said the Bumi. Now, the more I looked upon Garuda, it seemed the more I opened up my own heart as I cried. He had so much success in his life, and so I pictured his journey and saw my own father's life in his eyes. When I pictured the best memories of my father's life, I could see the man who my father really was. It was the same connection into the heart of Christ. My father did everything to provide for me and our family out of Christ's love. He worked so hard and he'd become such a successful businessman. He carried us safely through childhood and as I grew up, he allowed me to become my own free man upon this land. It was all thanks to my father and this loving heart energy brought me back to my childhood where I saw the heart of Christ and there I saw the heart of all fathers who are hardworking, protectors of their families and live lives that are good. And so I invite you to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. I couldn't see it before, not until I gained the right sight through this unique situation. But this man was truly in the service of all others, and all of his actions was directed in the service of the greater good, and this was Christ's foundation. He was a true Christian, he was a man of God, and that is why we know he is not just a believer, and so we call him perfected. His actions match his words, he is in service to the world through his heart, and this loving guardian looked over us the same way a good father does from the very start. As I looked down at my paws, they were no longer black like the panther named Forgiveness, and so I roared like the lion I had become, and now I embodied the hard-working nature of courage, mastery, bravery, and fearlessness. The robin flew away, and now it was time to get to work and take great action. I suppose I'm still in awe of coming face to face with the pinnacle of the mature masculine. When it comes to life, there is nothing quite perfect, but there are people who have endured great hardship, and so these leaders guide us to awaken the giants within us. These perfected people seem to have unlimited power, unlimited energy, and they take action quickly and work effectively and efficiently. I see this in my own father's hard work. And though they are not perfect with every decision, they learn lessons and integrate experiences into their lives and keep God in sight. Above all, they treat everyone with respect, often with a stoic demeanor to work in service of all others. And although it didn't make sense at the time, through the parable of the wild panther and the robin, 
we were able to open our heart. And so the king of all birds, the man who I saw my father in, he gained the respect, trust, and approval of the Divine Mother. I was so inspired, and I realized that I myself would need better structure, and so I decided to write seven vows so that I can find the way to best embody his energy as a sovereign king, magician, warrior, and lover. And so, to the best of my ability, I vow, first, to spread light, luminosity, truth, purity, and virtue by keeping a clear mind, free from attachment, vice, negativity, substances, and limiting beliefs so that my body, speech, and mind can shine with the light of love and spread to all beings. Second, I vow to surrender my life completely to the path before me, to help relieve the suffering of all others, and to fortify good character by remaining present and conscious of the here and now. Third, I vow to live a life of dignity, compassion, and gentleness in service of others while sharing the teachings, wisdom, and rich traditions through the means of storytelling and yoga, and I will achieve this by carefully listening to the needs of others. Fourth, I vow to be a brother to all sentient beings upon our planet and to protect, care for, guide, and uplift the spirit of our divine souls. Fifth, I vow to honor the source of divinity and to be devoted in service to the Ancient of Days, the Beloved, our one true God, by working to restore, uplift, and heal all plants, animals, and people along with the entire earth. Sixth, I vow to remain open to all causes and effects, whether good or bad, right or wrong, positive or negative, so that I may discover the fullness of our true nature that exists within the heart of all beings, and I will take great action to support and serve all of those who are suffering in hopes that great blessings may enter into the lives of all sentient beings. And seven, I vow to be a guardian, protector, and storyteller in service of humanity while sharing the teachings that open up the heart and expand the mind so that peace, virtue, and prosperity may flourish upon the earth so we may rediscover and enter into our divine garden called the earth the way our Creator made it to be. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing, from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of all sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory.